For the past several Sunday evenings, we have been studying lessons on moral issues. The photograph that is on the screen in front of you <clears throat> comes from the Isle of Patmos at the entrance <clears throat> to the Monastery of St. John. I realize that some of you probably cannot read that from where you're sitting, but it says, Welcome to our Holy Monastery. Please be aware that you are in a holy place of the worship of God. Proper attitude and dress are therefore requested. Thank you. What you cannot see below that is there is a stand for men's magazines. And uh, there's a few at the top. I tried to cover them up with the letters. But I thought it was rather interesting that here at this monastery where they're attempting to try to persuade people to dress appropriately, that they displayed magazines of people dressed inappropriately. The truth is, tonight I am going to preach on the subject of put on some clothes. For some of you, you have discussed this with me over the past few weeks about being one of the lessons that I would preach. I moved it up because I felt like it probably deserved the attention at this time, perhaps maybe more than some other lessons that we would discuss. Preaching on modesty is not a very popular subject. In fact, as I was reading what is a website called Brotherhood News this morning, I noticed that the lead article said, if you want to hold on to your job, don't preach on moral issues. And I will tell you that in many places... There are brethren who will tell you when you come to this preaching on subjects like dancing and dress, you better not touch those subjects or people will soon become angry with you. We live in a permissive society and our society does not like anyone to say, you can t no one can tell me what I can wear. I'll wear what I want to wear. When it comes to clothing, we want to be very independent and do what we want to do. Modern culture believes there are no standards by which one can judge. If you discuss this with people, it doesn't take long for them to say, well, in certain cultures, people don't think anything about it. For instance, if you go to some parts of Africa, women walk around with no clothing on top. Or you go to places near the beach, people there will wear little to no clothing at all. And they will say, because of that, you can't really judge anybody as if there are no standards whatsoever. Anybody, everybody is bombarded with immodest dress at every turn. It doesn't take one long to realize if you're watching the television show, if you're trying to watch Andy Griffith, it's not going to be long there's going to come on a, an advertisement where a person will be wearing very few clothes. You can go and visit Walmart while you're shopping, and generally there will be somebody who will be inappropriately dressed there. You're going to face it in every facet of life. But this is a moral issue. And it is an issue upon which the Bible speaks. Tonight, what I'd like to do is to look at three things with you. First of all is definitions and distinctions. 
And what we're going to do is not let man decide. We're going to let God decide and let Him define the words that we're going to discuss. Then we want to look at some declarations from Scripture. Let God speak on the subject directly and to the point. And then finally emphasize a determination of what you and I will be and how we will live regardless of what the world does. Let's begin at the beginning. If you go to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, you're going to find a word used there, and it's the word naked. It comes from the Hebrew word aram, which means bareness or exposure. The fact that we don't have anything on, we are exposed. It's found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. And Moses writes, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. When you see the word naked there, that means they didn't have any clothes on. As you come further to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, and then verses 10 and 11, you read, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. If you're reading other translations, it will say aprons. You drop down to verses 10 and 11. So he said, I heard, that's Adam saying, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? What you understand is Adam was naked. He tried to cover himself up along with Eve. Here we notice that God talks to Adam. Adam says, I'm naked. God said, how do you know you're naked? Where did you learn that? He learned it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I want you to notice as we get to verse 21, even after Adam and Eve had made for themselves some kind of clothing out of the fig leaves, you see, God addresses the situation in verse 21. Also Adam, for Adam and his wife, God made tunics of skin and clothed them. You see, God knew what kind of clothing needed to be made in order to cover up their nakedness. The word tunic is from a word which means a long shirt-like garment usually of linen. That's from the theological word book of the Old Testament. If you come to Brown, Driver, and Briggs, Hebrew-English lexicon, it says it's a principal ordinary garment of man or woman, or man and woman, worn next to the person. I can probably simplify this for you. It's like an undershirt. It was worn to cover the top to the bottom, and it was worn under your clothes. In other words, the part next to you. Now, I'd like for you to observe how the Bible uses and defines this word naked. It cannot be, as is alleged by people, culturally defined. In other words, God's word does not allow this word naked somehow to be uh, on a scale somewhere. Adam and Eve were naked before culture and even before they knew about it. 
Moses says they were naked. They were exposed. They were bare. They didn't know about it. And there was no culture there to set any norms. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 42, we learn a little bit about how God intended nakedness to be covered and a little bit of the definition. He says about the priest, And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. Notice he says, I want you to cover their nakedness. Well, what do you need to cover their nakedness? You need a garment that goes from their waist and covers their thighs. Those are what we might call shorts, but they're called trousers here because they are at least covering this part of the waist to the thigh. That tells me that if anything is exposed there, then it is naked. When I go to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is also going to discuss what would be involved in it. And I'm not dealing with every passage in Scripture. I'm just trying to set forth some distinctions so you can know what is involved. He said about Israel in chapter 16 and verse 7, I made you thrive like a plant in the field. You grew and matured and became beautiful, very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. He returns to the subject in chapter 23 and verse 21. Thus you call to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed the bosom because of your youthful breast. He is describing here being naked is having this upper torso exposed or bare. So nakedness in the Bible defined and distinguished here means that a person must have their upper torso covered and they must have from their waist to their thighs covered or they're exposing their nakedness. I know the world doesn't like that definition, but that's the biblical definition. Now if I'm going to address this correctly, I'm going to have to look at it the way God looks at it. And I cannot affect the way the worldly people live. But I can teach what Christians ought to do. And in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does that grace do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We ought to live so that people don't see that in us. If they see us doing otherwise, we're not living soberly, righteously, and godly in our present age. Some certainly dress provocatively. That is, they are attempting to provoke lust in other people. How do we know that? Listen to Proverbs 7 and verse 10. And there a met him, or a woman met him, with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was advertising that she was available. The attire, the adornment, the clothing that she wore certainly indicated that she was a harlot. People can be provoked to lust from looking. In other words... A young lady can dress in such a fashion 
that she exposes herself, and when she does, she is, to use the biblical term, naked, at least to some degree of it. And when she does, she is responsible for that. Listen to what we read, first of all, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to the house, or her house. We understand that David's looking provoked the lust in him, and that looking to lust. Now, Jesus addressed that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For a woman to go out and be a temptress, or a man for that matter, would be one that would be involved in doing what has been taking place here. But now I know that people are going to protest. Their protest is, well, if they've got a dirty mind, that's their problem. If they look at me in lust, then that's in their heart, not on me. But I want to point out to you that one is responsible for what he does and thinks, but he's also responsible for how he affects other people. The things that I do, if they cast a stumbling block before somebody else, I'm responsible for that as well. Now, in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is discussing eating meat sacrificed to idols. And what he is saying is, if I do something and it causes my brother to sin, I'm responsible for that. Same thing would be said about lust. Notice with me Romans 14:21. Paul said, It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. I shouldn't do anything that would cause that problem. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 10 through 12. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things sacrificed or offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. You need to realize, young ladies particularly, and young men as well, that when you do something to produce that lust in someone else, you are causing them to sin. And when you do, you're sinning against Christ. In chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? That's the protest. Why can't I do what I want to do? Because of the way it might affect other people. For that reason, people ought to be very aware of the way they dress. The Bible attaches the word shame to nakedness frequently throughout the Bible. 
For instance, and he's going to use this as an illustration. And he's going to talk about the children of Israel in their spiritual condition, but he's going to use something that should be known or understood. He said, Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. He's saying here that once she was honored, once she was respected, she showed her nakedness, and now everybody thinks she's despised. You have a nice, pure young lady, nice, pure young man. They display themselves, and what kind of perception do other people have? Now they're no longer respected. That's the way God's saying Jerusalem was. In Isaiah 47, verses 1 through 3, he says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. For you uh, take the millstones and grind the meal, remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh, pass through the rivers. Now here's what he says. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. You see, whenever you find that word nakedness, you find shame with it. Nahum 3 and verse 5. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. You know, you take a pure, wholesome woman and you expose her, she is going to be embarrassed. She's going to be enshamed by that. That's what God is saying. And then the passage that Brother Danny read from Revelation 3, verse 18. He says to the church at Laodicea, I counsel of you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see that nakedness is certainly that of shame. In contrast to that, godly people dressed modestly. I just want to pull two passages from the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 9, he said in verse 8, I desire that men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting or disputing. In verse 9, in like manner, also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. I've got some words underlined. Modest apparel. But the key word in my judgment is this word propriety. The older King James translates it shamefacedness. It's from the Greek word adios. Like the Spanish word, 
And it means treating something deserving of respect as if it's common or ordinary. Your body was created by God to be respected. And here you're just treating it ordinary. You're treating it common. You're you're disposing, uh, exposing of yourself. Verse 10 talks about this kind of clothing which is proper for women who profess godliness. People who claim to be godly wear a certain kind of clothes. People who are ungodly wear a certain kind of clothes. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 6, Peter is going to address how godly women can win their non-Christian husbands. And so here's what he says. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of hair, the wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Again, notice those words that are underlined. He says you're going to win your husband by your conduct, by the way you act. Well, Peter, what do you mean by conduct? Look at verse 2. When they observe your, now that, notice that modifying word, chaste conduct. You see, you're a wife to this man, and you conduct yourselves in a pure, wholesome, chaste manner. And he says, don't let that outward adornment, don't let the clothes be all about uh, this stylishness. Show your modesty among them and show that it's a part of who you are on the inside. In verses 5 and 6, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Notice he's talking about holy women and we notice how they adorned themselves. Now let me try to bring this together now with a determination. What happens when people do not dress modestly? Society becomes more tolerant. We become insensitive to sin. It gets to the point where we really don't know where the line is at. We become so hardened to it. In the book of Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, This I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now listen how he puts it. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life in God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. They don't care anymore. doesn't matter to them. They do not know. They become insensitive to it. And when that happens, sexual sins increase. Galatians 5.19 says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You go to 1 Corinthians 6.9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And he goes on with a list of sins. But these are the sexual sins that are part of that. Christians can become hardened through the deceitfulness of sins themselves. Sin has a way of being appealing to us. We don't want to run counterculture. In Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I think about Matthew 24 as he was describing the events surrounding the fall of the city of Jerusalem and how easy it would be for Christians to get caught up into that mentality of that time and he says that because of lawlessness the love of many lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold you see it all around you and you get to where it doesn't mean anything anymore I want us to see that we have got to make sure we're not going to let this determine who we are Daniel couldn't stop what everybody else was doing but here's what Daniel 1 and verse 8 said, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We need to be the kind of people who have purpose determined within ourselves. This is not going to who we're going to be. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christians are to be a pure people with a pure heart. In Psalm 73, 1 David said, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our dress should reflect what is in our hearts. I'm afraid too often it does. If there's not purity there, then it will not be pure in the way that we dress ourselves. You'll open your songbooks now to the song of invitation. At every service in which we gather together, we always want to make sure that we understand that the Lord's invitation has been extended to us. He wants us to be His children. He wants us to be forgiven of our sins. His terms are that we must believe that He is. Hebrews 11, verse 6, John 8, verse 24. He expects that we repent of our sins. That means to change our lives by changing our minds. Then we must confess our faith in Him, Matthew 10, 32, and 33, and then to be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. If you are one of God's children and sin has invaded your life and taken over, it's time for you to deal with it. If it's private, then you must... Go to God, ask His forgiveness. If it's public, you need to let your brethren know you've repented. Let us pray with you, as the Bible teaches us to in James 5 and verse 16. If you need to respond tonight, would you come as we stand together and sing?